Hey, welcome to another episode of the Coffee Break Podcast, where our mission is to share business ideas, practices, and strategies while we enjoy our cup of coffee. Today's guest is Mark Willis. We're going to talk about what we're going to be talking about in a few moments. But before, I do want to ask you to subscribe. If you haven't already, make sure you hit that subscribe button wherever you're watching or listening to this. If you're listening on a podcast platform, make sure you subscribe. We have a brand new episode every Tuesday morning at 9 a.m. and we don't want you to miss out on a single piece of content that's coming your way. If you're watching this on YouTube or Facebook, hit the subscribe, hit the like, hit the follow. Uh, We've got brand new episodes every Tuesday morning and we have regular video content coming out every single week that is applicable to you. So we don't want you to miss a single piece of that. Make sure you're subscribed and connected because we're coming at you every Tuesday and every Friday with information that is going to impact you. If you're listening to this today and it catches your attention and you know somebody else that this would impact as well, please be sure to share the episode with them and they will get value out of it as well. Mark Willis is an author. He's a certified financial planner and he's an all-around interesting guy with a great story about how he worked to get himself out of debt and is sharing some of the principles that he's learned through helping other people as well. Interesting conversation, uh, really got me thinking about a lot of uh, different aspects, and I want you to be intentional about your your uh, your your thought around these concepts as well. We're going to jump into rapid fire and answer a couple of randomly selected questions, and then uh, Mark is going to dive into a little bit of a conversation on how to get rid of the banks and be your own bank. Wildly thought-provoking concept, and it's coming at you right after this. So grab a cup of coffee and get ready for this conversation. We got so much to say. We got a podcast to make. We're sipping on lattes, and it's time for a coffee break. It's time for a coffee break. Oh, yeah. All right, Mark, thanks for joining us today. I'm excited to have a conversation with you. I mean, if we, we actually were recording for the last few minutes, but that probably really, you know, well, most of it was just me talking, so it probably isn't a good conversation. But thank you for joining us from Chicago. Um, I won't hold it against you, even though I know somebody from Chicago that's, I'll say on on microphone, is a wonderful individual. Nice, good. <laughs> yeah, there's, there's definitely plenty of um, all sorts of characters coming out of Chicagoland. Uh, and, uh, we came out of Chicago city last year in the midst of the pandemic and, uh, needed to rely on a locksmith certainly to get into this new home that we have outside of the city. Uh, but, uh, we've had a great time, uh, in the, the Fox river Valley out, out just West of Chicago city. But we, we did spend 11 wonderful years downtown, which was a great, great, great chapter of life. But once you start having kiddos, man, yeah, you know, there's just something about the, the dirt under your fingernails. Yeah, I've heard a lot of people a say more. that I, it's fun here. You know, we're based in Charlotte, North Carolina, and it's fun here because the city for us, obviously, is not Chicago or not New York. It's not the big city like that, but the city for us is right that way. And then just a few miles down the road, it's it's the dirt and the uh, the suburbs, right? So we get the, the best of both worlds without having to travel very far. So um, very That's cool. Right. Well, we're going to be talking about uh, real estate investment, real estate, financial planning, all kinds of fun stuff around that today, which is a, a big thing with a lot of the folks that um, are listening here. But before we do that, it is rapid fire, five randomly selected questions just to get under your skin with unknown point values, and then we'll give you a score at the end. Will that work? Sounds good. 
Uh, and I'm going to do my best to get some of these random questions because I have been accused here recently of uh, using some of the same uh, same questions. So I'm going to do my best to make sure that these are really good and random. And that's mostly for Andrew because he was picking on me about it. So are you ready? As ready as I'm going to be. These are truly random. So what do you know? Yeah, there you go. Question number one, what's your go-to productivity trick? Oh, man. You know, uh, how many do you want me to share with you? I, I love productivity tricks. One recently that I've just been floored by and love uh, is uh, using a tool called Text Expander. Okay. And Text Expander allows you to type a, a very small amount of text, like three letters, let's say, and it will call on a pre-written, you've written it, mm-hmm. but then it just dumps that into an email and you've given a thoughtful reply to somebody or you've written out a well-thought-out response to a question that comes up often in your business, I would imagine there's common questions that you get asked all the time, Chad. Yeah. Text Expander solves you having to write the same answer every stinking day of your life. And you can, just, you can write the best answer once, and you're done. So that's that's as rapid as it gets. That's awesome. So years ago, when Text Expander first started to become at least usable. Um, I uh, it was back in the day when I did uh, did some of the sales, and my I, the subject line that I sent out for all of my quotes was a very specific string of information with a number on it, and I would type it all the time. And I, when I found Text Expander, I was like, "This is the best thing ever" because I could just type Q U O, and it automatically filled out the entire line, pipe it, and it it kept it consistent. So. That is a great tip. If you if you haven't used it yet, it can be used for a lot more than just that. But it is is definitely beneficial because you can put an entire paragraph in there. Very cool. All right, uh, let's see here. Question number two: If you can control one element—air, water, fire, uh, air, water, earth, or fire—which uh, would it be, and why? If you could control one element. Man. Wow. Fire sounds like that'd be a lot of fun. I mean, that's what got us out of the caves mostly uh, a long time ago. So, and we're still working on getting to Mars. So, I think that'd be a cool element to work on. All right, fire. I like it. Uh, Does Captain Planet count? I don't know. Um, no. All right. <laughs> all right. Question number three: What is the first thing that you do in the morning? Well. I reorient myself to what planet I'm on. First off, <laughs> uh, I generally have a you know preset morning ritual I try to follow, um, including some meditation, prayer, journaling, and uh, grabbing the the cup of coffee to get ready for a coffee break podcast. There you go. Okay, well, well played, sir. Well played. I, you know, I for years I have basically rolled out of bed, gone in and hit the coffee. And I slowed that down over the last couple of years because I found myself trying to uh, trying to calibrate and wake myself up with water versus coffee. And it's an it's a very interesting change. It takes a while to get used to, but um, I now do not drink my first cup of cup of coffee until about nine o'clock in the morning. That's that I hear that's a way better way to go. That's awesome. Yeah, that's. I don't know if it's uh, way better it's or not. Important I, to get that water in. I, I don't know if it's better or not, but I'm I'm trying to make it work. <laughs> All right. Uh, question number four here. If you could have an endless supply, this is a very important question. If you could have an endless supply of uh, one food for the rest of your life, what would it be? These are truly random, man. Uh, wow. <clears throat> one food. First one that comes to mind. Uh, I just, oh, man, 
Given given that we just talked about coffee, can I count it as a as a food? Could we count coffee as a food? You can be, uh, it, first I, mean, I drink the coffee, then I do the things. Yeah, the old saying goes. There's there's not a lot of rules to this uh, to this this okay. little uh, <laughs> session here, so you can do whatever you want. Um, coffee as a food, I like it. Now let me speaking of food. Sorry to get off track here, but I had an experience this past weekend, um, and it, with a it's it's a local place, but they've made Chicago deep dish pizza. Now you're in Chicago or around mm-hmm. there. If you have you did you grow up in Chicago? Is that where you've always been, or you transplant? Gr- grew up in Indianapolis. Uh, went to Chicago for the ball games, the museums. So kind of knew the area and loved loved the food up here. Okay, so Chicago deep dish or New York style pizza? What's the better? Um, <clears throat> You know, I don't want to offend anybody from the East Coast, but uh, you know, if if we if we could effectively make a New York style pizza by taking a Chicago pizza and running over it with a car, that doesn't sound very appetizing. I'm <laughs> totally going Chicago style, man. <laughs> anyway, it was an incredible experience. I've never had a deep dish pizza like that before. Uh, the sauce on top, it was it was it was very enjoyable. I, I don't know that I could go that way all the time, but it is a mm-hmm. nice nice thing to add into the repertoire. There's there's four quadrants in every human heart, and that's essentially how many chances you get to eat deep dish before the heart just totally gets blocked. So, you know, you choose wisely, my friend. <laughs> <laughs> See, I, my answer to the question of the food would be pizza. I could, if I could only have one food for the rest of my life, pizza would be would be the thing. All right, here's one question yeah. to get you in trouble with your um, spouse: Who is the greatest cook that you know? <laughs> Uh, well, how about my daughter? I'll, I'll do a, a close Ooh. second there. How about that? So uh, she's great at coming up with weird, like we made a salad yesterday that included some seaweed and honey. Okay. I'm not sure how that got in there, but uh, it was her her job was to make the salad. So there you have it. Great but answer. It was adorable watching. She's five years old. Great answer. Great answer. Very safe too. Okay. Uh, well, there you go. You passed it. Rapid fire will give you a score of... Uh, let's say 732. Okay. All right. I'll hold on to it. We understand the frustrations HOA board members and property managers face when deciding the best solution for their HOA and pool security. Should we use a keypad, hand out keys, or install a key card system? Do we even need cameras? These are some of the questions that are difficult to navigate, and we're here to help. At LockDock Security, we've spent over 20 years working with homeowners associations and property managers to find a system that best fits the pool and HOA needs. Camera systems for the front gate or front entrance, key card systems for the pool gates, or simply updating the gate so that it meets safety and code compliance. We like to take the guesswork out of the process to answer any questions and help find the right solution. Our mission is to help you protect your people and your property and that includes pools. Contact our team today to schedule your free consultation for your community. Well, let's jump into the conversation. And again, thank you for, for joining us today. So you are a, you're an author. Uh, I read that on your website, which is incredible. So congratulations on that feat. Uh, yeah. That is a very disciplined uh, task to be able to accomplish. Uh, but you really focus on financial planning. So tell me a little bit about why you have, like, what drew you to that as a as a as a career choice or as as a as a life choice. Well, <clears throat> out out of uh, desperate necessity, 
to be very honest with you. I graduated from college with uh, three private school degrees between my wife and I, and it was in 2008. Mm. And we didn't have any work, and we did have $120,000 of student loan debt. Uh, and didn't know what we were going to do to pay it all off. Mm -hmm. You know, um, in fact, I remember my first job out of college. I just gotten this, you know, fancy grab your ego, uh, master's degree. And my first job was working for a property manager and their first task for me in this new building that they had just acquired to renovate and whatever was for me to get under an elevator. Okay. A broken down old elevator with a shop vac Mm -hmm. and just basically suck out anything you found under that elevator. All right. That was my, that was my first day on the job, so to speak, after my, you know, newly minted master's degree. Talk about a, a great way to bring you back down to earth. Uh, so, you know, I really got focused after that, not just that experience, but in general, after graduating uh, with, with basically a mortgage payment to Sally May and all of her cronies, mm-hmm. I said, I got to get this money thing figured out. You know, they, they let you just trip over student debt when you're going through college. But, you know, funny enough, they want you to pay it back. And kind of so thing. I got focused on finance. Uh, I wanted to figure out a way to be free financially out from under the burden of that debt. And my wife and I were sick and tired of rice and beans. I thought of rice and beans as my favorite food for the rest of my life. But I said to myself, no more, no more, Chad. I've had plenty of rice and beans. On Fridays, we'd switch it up and have beans and rice oh, just wow. to spice things up. So anyway, that's how I got focused on finance was out of desperate necessity and, and uh, just a, a willingness to not stay stuck where I was. And, and you have zero affiliation with Dave Ramsey. That's right. Well, he, <laughs> he certainly got me on the train. Yes. Okay. I, I definitely can <laughs> give credence to him for that. I will say that I started to realize that I was following him a bit too closely. Mm-hmm. In fact, at one point, um, a, a mentor of mine came to my, my home and he said to me, Mark, is it possible that Dave Ramsey could be wrong about something? <laughs> and my jaw kind of dropped. Uh, I, I let that question hang in the air yeah. because to be honest with you, Chad, up until that point, I essentially thought he had written the fifth gospel. <laughs> I mean, I really thought he had gotten it all figured out. Yep. And now I realize how, um, how it was important for me to take those baby steps. Mm-hmm. But now I realize that I want to run a marathon. Mm-hmm. Baby steps are not where I want to end my life. Yeah. You know, if I'm still doing baby steps, if my daughter was still doing baby steps at five years old, we'd all be having conversations, yeah. right? So our financial life should be no different. There's a marathon to run here, mm-hmm. and I want to get the ball down the field farther than just a couple of baby steps to hand off to the next generation. Yeah, uh, I, you didn't you didn't ask the guy to leave when he asked you the question: Is Dave Ramsey could be wrong? Yeah, <laughs> well, <laughs> well, it was one of those moments. Leave. No, it, one of those moments who said, uh, "Like I realized I'd never really given it any critical thinking mm-hmm. skills. You know, I'd never really thought." carefully about what I was being fed, yeah. uh, right or wrong, as good well, as he is. I, I think that it's an interesting concept. And obviously, I didn't intend to go down a Dave Ramsey path, but I just, the rice and beans comment, if if you're not familiar with Dave Ramsey, then you, you know, that's that's a, a classic. But mm-hmm. I, I will say there's a, there's a lot of fundamentals there. And the, the thing I believe, and, and maybe you would agree with this, maybe you wouldn't, um, when you find yourself in that place of over your head in debt and going, okay, what in the world? How did I get here? It's typically founded in the fact that there's some of the fundamentals that um, we probably all missed out on uh, in our childhood, you know, and, and like, well, 
how did we get to this point? So if you graduated in 2008, we're probably close to the same age. And this is probably the thing that we all grew up in, right? That, that kind of same generation where you're going, okay, what, what did we miss out on and, and what better decisions do we need to make? Dave Ramsey gives a lot of great fundamentals and it will take you to a certain point. But I, I agree with you that, um, it uh, it's maybe not for everybody, but it is a good launching point to get you where you want to go. Well said. Yeah, great, great point. Yeah, I think for me, it was just a matter of just deciding that I was going to get focused on finance mm-hmm. and, and my personal financial situation, controlling the environment where my money was going to live. Mm-hmm. That was the big wake up call that Dave and, and his buddies helped us out with. And I'll always be grateful for that. I do think that there's some dangerous conversations that I hear in the ether around finance. And there's plenty of financial gurus. I won't say Dave is one of them or not, but I will say that there are a lot of financial gurus out there who are just giving out unsolicited, unlicensed advice. Mm -hmm. And man, there's, there's just more to life than, than, um, than, you know, listening to somebody on the radio tell you what you should do with your money. There's, there's, um, there's strategies beyond is all yeah. I can say. Oh yeah. I mean, if you want, we can talk some about those, but, uh, that, that was sort of my wake up call to finance. And I'm grateful for Dave for kind of waking me up to that. I, I, there's, there's, that's a good, I think that's a good way to say it is it's a good wake up call and you know, it's definitely going to get you to a certain point, but there may be more to it. So you have to, you have to unpack that and, and kind of keep your eyeballs open. But, um, I think a lot of people find themselves in situations where, because they have made bad financial decisions, they don't even have the capacity to do some of the stuff that you're going to be talking about today because they've strapped themselves down and loaded themselves down with debt. And I think some of the good fundamentals are if you want to, and this is the same in business as it is in your personal finances, if you want to do something in in order to change some things, you're going to have to change some things, right? And so those are the behaviors that you've got to change regardless of uh, the path of the process that you follow. It's oftentimes you find yourself in a situation where you're going to have to change some things and you have to get serious about it. And that's the, the, I guess the, the humorous part of the beans and rice type situation. There's not a lot of people that will put enough dedication into sacrificing the beans and rice to get where they want to go. So with that said, mm-hmm. let's let's uh, transition the conversation into. So that's how you got into it. Where are you headed from there? Like you, so you're you've now written a couple of books. You're working through this process, and now you're you're advising other people on. Hey, how this is how you can make better financial decisions. Yeah, my focus really get, became about our own personal financial path first. You know, you got to put your own oxygen mask on first. Yeah. And it has been a real wonderful ride. I ended up diving into financial planning. I got my certified financial planner designation. Uh, we now help clients all over the country, over a thousand clients on our in our firm in all 50 states. We meet with folks one-on-one in an advisory role to sit down and review their particular circumstances. Uh, they refer to me as not your average financial planner, though, because I'm generally not going to be uh, thrilled with the oh-so-average ways in which most people do finance. Case in point, I don't necessarily care what your mutual funds got you in your 401k last year. More, at least not as much as I might, uh, the volume of debt that you might be paying off mm-hmm. uh, and servicing. Case in point, I'll give you a quick story. There's a really, really well-off doctor. He was making a very good income Mm -hmm. and he was very pleased with his mutual funds and his 401k. And he had done about 12%, 13% over the last two or three years. 
And he was very proud of that fact. And, you know, hey, why not? That's pretty cool. Mm-hmm. Um, however, there were some things that we discovered in our discussion, in our analysis. We do kind of a one-on-one call. I do do it over Zoom. And we have a meeting over to kind of review the account statements and more. Mm-hmm. And it came to light that he was paying, paying about $80,000 a year just to service his interest on the debt. Now, that's about a third of his income. It's about 35% of his overall income. Mm-hmm. So we kind of stepped back and we said, well, wait a minute. If this money thing is all one wallet, you're getting 12% in your non-guaranteed mutual fund that's pre-tax. Mm-hmm. Okay, pre-tax means some of that return has to go to IRS man. Mm-hmm. So you might be more like 8 or 7 or 8% after taxes are considered, and that's not guaranteed but you're paying 30 plus percent of your after-tax money to the boat, the second mortgage, Mm -hmm. the student, the medical student loans that he still had. And he's not alone. I mean, most Americans, according to the U S commerce bureau, Chad, they spend 35 and a half percent of your income. If your average goes to servicing debt. Hmm. Now in 1940, we saved about 30% of our income. And we only had about 5% going, 5 to 10% going to debt payments. Mm-hmm. Now that's reversed. We now have about 5% saved. And again, 35 plus percent of our money just to service debt. Now, we all have happily low interest mortgages on our real estate properties and our cars and our, and our credit cards for a temporary time anyway. Our student loans, everything is low interest. Mm-hmm. But it's kind of like eating deep dish pizza, right? Mm-hmm. It's not so much... It's not so much the rate at which I eat my pizza. It's the volume that counts. It's the volume that's going to add to my waistline. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's, it's, so it's, it's not so much the interest rate that kills us. It's the volume that counts when it comes to debt and interest payments. And when, it, when the average person is spending a third of their income, that's a third of your day. We work quite a bit with business owners and if they're already taking the risk in their business mm-hmm. to start a business, to uh, get access to capital, to launch new ventures, and they're putting a third of their revenue toward debt payments, it's sort of like you're not working for yourself for at least a third of your working day. And then you throw the tax man on top of that. You might be working for somebody else half the day before you're really your own boss. So to me, the biggest leverage point in one's financial life, whether in your personal life or your business life, is not what you got on your mutual fund last year. It's who is controlling that bank interest payment. Is it going to you or is it going to a bank down the street? Because if it's going to a bank down the street, they will win. The banks will win. Mm -hmm. There's a great book out there, Chad. You might have heard of it. It's called Debt, The First 5,000 Years. It's by David Graeber. And that book title says it all. You know, banks have been around for thousands of years in one form or another. Yeah, That's essentially as long as humans have had civilization, in my opinion. So banks are going to win and they know how to do it. And it's by understanding the function of banking in the human population that helps them succeed in good times and bad. Yeah, lending, and it's interesting on that fact because I've, I've heard and seen around Folks that are lending money, the bank, right? They are making just hand over fist money. It's incredible. Um, I've I've been around some uh, folks that run lending lending agencies, and it's just incredible the amount of of money that they're generating 
based off of other people being in debt. So if that's the case, so that's a fact in a state, what is the better path uh, to, to get away from that? Because that's, I think you you make a very valid point. If you were to, and, and it's a very digestible point as well, if you were to think about the first half of my day from, you know, if I get started at eight until noon, until I take my lunch break, every component of that I've been working so that I can pay somebody else to for taxes and um, and debt. How what's the how do I start to minimize that or reduce that? Well, <clears throat> you know the uh, our our friend Dave would say pay cash for everything, pay off your debts and pay cash for everything. But I'm going to be a little controversial and say that paying cash is at least as bad as going into debt. In fact, I might even say it's worse. Okay. In fact, I've been on the record saying that I would rather be a borrower at somebody else's bank then steal from my own bank by financing it from paying cash and stealing from my future self. Okay. Here's what I mean by that. When I pay interest for a car, at least I've got a payment that I can see Mm -hmm. and I understand. But when I pay cash for that same car, I've lost the opportunity to earn interest on that money ever again for Mm -hmm. the rest of my life. Mm -hmm. So if we're in our mid thirties, let's say, and we start buying cars every five years, and we're saving up and we're buying a $30,000 vehicle every five years, let's say, Chad, mm-hmm. over our lifetime, we're going to have to save about 350 bucks a month into a savings account earning 4 or 5%. Mm-hmm. Now, at the end of the deal, there at the end of our life, we'll have spent about 10 cars is what we'll have purchased over our lifetime. And that's 10 times 30. That's 300 grand in, in just steel sure, and plastic, basic old junk cars at that yeah. point, right? But our money that we would have had if we had ridden shotgun our whole life, you know, mm-hmm. never bought a car and just ridden shotgun, put three fifty into an interest-bearing account, it would have been nine hundred thousand bucks that we would have had yeah. had we not bought those stinking cars. Yeah. So the problem with paying cash is you're still financing. Mm-hmm. You finance everything you buy. Either you pay interest to a banker mm-hmm. or you pass up interest you could have earned on that money. When you pay cash, if you had just left it invested instead, okay, that's the problem with paying cash. All right, so there are two options here: lending money or loaning money from from a bank or an institution, or pay cash. Um, and both of them are not great. So, and I don't know if this is some of uh, I've I've read some of the book Rich Dad Poor Dad. Is this some of the concept here that you're that you're talking about? Because that's one of the big things that he refers to. So, what is what are the other options? <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. Well, I'm going to set aside leasing because essentially that's just an all interest payment Mm -hmm. to the car company. And let's go for something that most people, when I first talk to them about it, their heads kind of do this. They kind of cock their head to one side. They don't know what's going on. They, (laughs) they do what I did when I first heard about this strategy. Okay. And there's another way to buy things, major capital purchases, and whether it's a car or a piece of real estate or any capital expense for your business, um, you can become the bank. You can become your own source of financing. And it's almost like financial judo or jujitsu, you know, where you, you take the force, the problem, and you make it part of your solution. Okay. When something comes at you as an attack, if you can find a way to leverage that same attack and push it back on your opponent, that's a pretty cool deal. And that's essentially what we're doing with, a, with, with using and becoming your own source of financing. 
Uh, so I'll kind of describe this as quickly as I can, because I, I know our time is short and your audience wants to know what's in the bag, basically. <laughs> so, so if you can become your own banker, mm-hmm. you could recapture that interest, pay yourself the amount that you'd currently been throwing out the door to banks, finance companies, uh, car companies, and more mortgage companies. And it's a cool concept, but it must have something something has to be like implemented, right? Like it's cool to be up here in the stratosphere of thinking about how cool it would be, would it be to set up an FDIC insured bank and all that. But unless you've got 10 to $50 million and a bank charter in your town, it's not going to happen, right? So the only way to become your own source of financing as a CFP, what I've been able to discover in my research after looking at over 450 financial products was of all things, it's a modernized form of dividend-paying whole life insurance, of all things in the financial universe. Now, this is not the kind our buddy Dave Ramsey talks about. Mm-hmm. Just classically, what he describes is categorically not what we're talking about here. Sure. In, in effect, it's maximizing what's called cash value. And the cash value in a whole life insurance policy is really remarkable. So I'll, I'll kind of say this quickly, and then I'd love to get your feedback, Chad. It does like three things that are really cool. So one, it grows on a guaranteed basis. Mm -hmm. Every single year, no matter what the stock market's doing, it's growing on a predictable path. And there's really nothing we can do to stop it. So it's outside of the stock market, outside of real estate markets. It just grows on a schedule and it's contractually guaranteed by the insurance company. So that's pretty cool. The second piece is it's liquid, accessible, and tax-free money. So I'll say that again, liquid, accessible, and tax-free money. Now, business owners that I work with and speak with, having ready access to contingency cash for emergencies or opportunities, investment opportunities, that's like lifeblood. That's like oxygen for the business owner. Mm -hmm. So having a big pool of capital that you can draw on for any purpose with no taxes due, uh, with no restrictions on that money, uh, is a lifesaver for a lot of businesses. I just worked with somebody the other day. He was rehabbing and he was doing a, a rehab before he rented out this new apartment building. Mm-hmm. And he was ac- able to access $800,000 within about four or five business days out of one of these policies. Mm-hmm. That eight hundred grand went right into the construction and material costs of that apartment building. Mm-hmm. And he'll be ready to rent it out and profit from the, the apartment complex. So that's the second thing is it's liquid, accessible, and tax-free access to cash something that most businesses would die for, especially when banks stop lending. You know, there's a great quote, um, a banker, Mark Twain says, a banker is a fellow who will lend you his umbrella when the sun is shining, but wants it back as soon as it starts to rain. (laughs) Good old Mark Twain. I love that guy. (laughs) So the last piece here, and then I'll hush, get off my little soapbox here, is it is like a bank in that you can borrow against the life insurance cash value Mm -hmm. And when you access the cash value via a loan, the policy will continue to build and grow as if there was no loan. Okay. So I'll say that again, slightly different way. If I've got 800 grand in a cash value life insurance policy designed the bank on yourself way, and you borrow against the policy, let's say you borrow out 600 grand to Mm -hmm. do something. Well, your policy is still growing it as if there was no loan on the full $800,000, growing on a guaranteed basis with dividends added on top. And you've got that $600,000 now in the, in the real world where you can put that money to work in real estate or business or paying off a debt 
Like I used it to pay off all my student loans, Mm -hmm. but it was better than being just debt free because we had the asset of the whole life policy still growing and compounding for my retirement, for my next projects and and more Mm -hmm. rather than doing the snowball debt snowball method of just throwing money down a hole and never seeing that money ever again. So those three things, guaranteed growth, liquid accessible growth that's tax-free and continuous compounding of that money. That's a sweet spot for a lot of business owners that I get to meet with and have the privilege of uh, serving around the country. Can you copy this key? That's a question we get asked about 3,422 times a year. And how can you actually be sure that the person who asked that question is supposed to get a copy of that key? Well, we think you should always know who can copy your keys to your business and your home because it could be your neighbor, an old employee, a contractor, or even worse, your mother-in-law. At LockDock Security, we believe in protected key systems, so you always know who has a copy of your key. To find out more, visit LockDock.net or stop by our Charlotte location. LockDock Security, helping you protect your people and your property. All right, so interesting concept. Now I'm, I'm processing this and I'm trying not to tilt my head uh, to the side, but the, so what's the risk on that? Where, where does the risk come in? Obviously, cause it's, this isn't just a, a free for all of, uh, of, of throwing cash out. So where does the risk come from? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, it's, you know, that's guaranteed by the life insurance company. So you, one risk is you want to make sure that you've done your research or that you had a financial professional uh, who knows which companies to choose. Mm-hmm. That's a risk, okay? Because there's 1,100 life insurance companies out there. I wouldn't do business with 95% of them, mm-hmm. not for this strategy anyway. So you want to make sure, and we, we've created a list, of, and I'd be happy to give it to your listeners, 29 things that you really need this policy to do. I've kind of likened it to the USDA organic label. You know, um, when you get USDA organic on your food, you know it went through 29 different steps to get that label. Sure. But you don't have to like investigate all that. As long as you have that label, you know yeah. that it's what you want. And the label in this case is something called bank on yourself. If it's a bank on yourself designed whole life policy, it's met all the criteria I just described for the last five minutes. Gotcha. So that's one risk is that you got the wrong policy or it was designed incorrectly. Another consideration, I don't know if it's a risk, is that it does cost some money to put money into a policy, kind of like a savings account. When you put money into a savings account, you had to like not spend it. Yeah. So, you know, you had to forego consumption today in order to build up some kind of wealth in the future. Um, you know, there's some insurance expenses, so it's never going to like break even in the first 30 days of setting up a policy. There are some insurance expenses. Sure. And I would just suggest that think long range, you know, think a couple, three, five years at least to see that policy start to really build and gain momentum. So setting it up now would allow yourself over the next, if you were to say, hey, I want to implement a strategy over the next three to five years for investing in real estate or, or whatever it is, maybe in reinvesting into my business, then it would, you would need to have that amount of time to allow it to realize. Well, I would, I would just clarify that, that uh, no, you could actually put money into the policy and borrow against it within 30 days of okay. starting the policy. There's just some insurance, you'd lose some purchasing power in that first year or two while you're waiting for the cash value to continue to accumulate and grow. Gotcha. Okay. That makes sense. This is an interesting concept uh, for sure. And maybe something, and, and again, uh, lots of resources on your website and, and connect up with you to, to talk more about that. But that's, and that we were poised to really talk about real estate investment. Um, and, and I, I'm, 
going to draw a conclusion here that that's your philosophy around being able to 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 invest in real estate without having to get the banks involved. That's it. You've got it. Yeah. So, you know, it, it, if it's a choice between using a bank, mm-hmm. using cash or using my own source of financing, well, boy, it's it's an easy choice for me. I get positive. The, the $20 cocktail term here is arbitrage. I get positive arbitrage when I borrow against my policy. I lose opportunity cost when I pay cash and I lose wealth seeping out my back door is wealth going to a bank when I pay a bank for a mortgage payment and that sort of thing. Now, do I live with absolutely no banks in my life? No, I still have a mortgage on my house Mm -hmm. and I have enough cash values in which I can use that liquid money in my policy then to go invest in other real estate deals, get higher yield than paying off my house might. So it's, it's a nuanced, like full featured conversation that we'd have with clients, sure, yeah. whether or not this tool even makes sense for them or not. But I've found over the years that this really works well for real estate, especially, you know, I had a guy he put in, this is, doesn't have to be everybody's numbers. Please don't, you know, everybody's going to have different figures here, Chad, but this guy, he was 40 years old. He put in 400,000 bucks into a policy mm-hmm. and right away he had about 378,000 bucks in his policy's cash value and about a $1.7 million death benefit. We don't want to forget that this is life insurance after all, so that's kind of cool. Yeah. He borrows $360,000 right away from the policy, and then he pays it back when he sells a syndication deal, refinances a syndication deal eight years later. Mm-hmm. The policy grew $107,000 while he had borrowed out basically all that cash. Mm-hmm. So his policy's cash value after the fifth year was 507000 bucks. That is pretty cool. That sure beats a savings account. Yeah. It's it's an intriguing process to look at as well. And it gives you, um, I guess, the ability to just have a little bit more flexibility in your in your kind of long term. Because I think, and, and if I hear, heard what you're saying correctly, you're going to get more value out of investing into a real estate that's going to generate revenue rather than just paying off your ho- your primary residence because it's, it is an investment at that point and it is something that you will gain return on down the line. But if you're investing in something that's going to generate revenue simultaneously while paying back that debt, then obviously you're, you're winning. Yep. Unless you've got an ATM attached to your personal residence. Yeah. I wouldn't count my house as an asset for that reason. <laughs> I completely understand that. Well, man, this has been a very eye-opening conversation for sure. Um, you have more information available on your website, which is uh, lakegrowth.com, L-A-K-E growth.com, that where they can get in contact with you and, and really dive into this more. Yeah, correct. And uh, if folks want to date me first, uh, you can go to our podcast, which is not your average financial podcast, not your average financial podcast.com. There you go. And you've got a couple, you have a couple of books or is it one? Mm-hmm. Yep. Yeah. We, uh, we actually, uh, me, uh, I found the, the pleasure of writing a book is much more when I can co-author with uh, another person that I've gone to love and trust and work with. So I had the privilege of co-authoring three books, uh, all of which hit best-selling lists. Uh, one was uh, how to, uh, let's see, how to become an Amazon legend and fire your banker. All right. Really great for e-commerce business owners. Uh, this strategy works incredibly well for folks with inventory. Uh, the same strategy works in real estate we've been talking about. So I co-authored a book with Monica Sawyer called Real Estate Investing for Women. Don't ask me how I got, you know snuck in on that, on that, uh, marquee of, of other women who wonderful women who wrote in that book, but she was willing to let me on as well. 
Very cool, man. Well, congratulations, and it was great to chat with you today. Uh, and again, if you want to find out more, visit lakegrowth.com. Mark, thank you very much for being here, and it's a pleasure to chat. Likewise. Thanks so much. Hey, Mark, thanks again for joining us today. It's a great conversation. Very intriguing. Get rid of the banks, become your own bank. Uh, definitely something to check out. Make sure you visit them at lakegrowth.com for more information. If you haven't already, make sure you subscribe. We've got a brand new episode coming at you next Tuesday morning at 9 a.m. And we don't want you to miss a single episode. Thank you for joining us. And we'll see you next time right here on the Coffee Break Podcast. <laughs>